surreal. I can't get nostalgic right now because I will start crying. It's inevitable I'm going to cry tonight, that's for sure. But if I get nostalgic right now, there's no turning back. So I will save that for later. Although, I will mention up front that uh, April 5th, four years ago, will be the anniversary that I came to church. So it's a pretty big week. Yeah, and pretty cool that I get to be up here. I was like kind of not hoping but wondering at what point if this was an April Fool's joke, James would let me know. <laughs> like, would it be like before I get on stage? Would he let me know like yesterday? So, but apparently it's not. April Fool's joke. Here I still am. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be funny? Um, thank you guys for coming today. If you are new here, you are so welcome. And we're just so grateful that you are here with us and spending your time with us, your Monday night. And I very much remember that feeling and emotion of being new here. It was only four years ago. So um, I can imagine the emotions that you're feeling. And I'm just grateful that you took a chance on coming here anyways and wanting to um, step into maybe learning who Jesus is or... Um, coming for healing or for relationship or for community. Whatever it is you came here for, I just pray that you find it tonight. So if you have been here the last few weeks, we have been studying the book of Romans. Who's been enjoying it? Few people? Yay. So I actually get to speak from the end of Romans 3, which is really funny because AJ, if you heard him preach last week, he was talking about sin. And it was pretty funny because he was talking about it and he was like, okay, my whole section is about sin and the promise comes in Romans chapter 3 verse 21 and this is my section. So I got pretty lucky with that. If you want to open your Bible, we are going to start. We're just going to jump right in. Is that okay? Okay. Romans chapter 3 verse 21. So that's where we're starting. Um, If you look at the words, the first two words in the section are but now. Which is really cool because what Paul is talking about right before is sin. And he says we are all under sin. And then in chapter 3 verse 21 he says, but now. Which is actually two words but really relevant and really powerful. Because it means what I had just spoken to you about. But now something has changed and something is different. But now. So it's a really exciting moment when he says those two words. And if we carry on, we're just going to read it, and then we're going to dive into it. So we're going to start actually in in verse 22. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. I'm going to read it again. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's pretty powerful, those words. I don't know if you've ever heard them before. If you haven't, we're going to unpack them. So what I like to do is I like to work through the scripture and kind of start to understand what it means. I think that might be like a benefit of being a newer Christian Because I don't just already know what everything means. Like, I don't know what righteousness means. I don't, I mean, I have an assumption of what faith means, but I don't, I don't know. And so it's really cool, and it's a really cool practice to start to unpack and maybe 
look at words that you might have thought that you already knew and make sure that you've understood them correctly and look to see if there's another meaning behind them. So Angela talked about a couple weeks ago the word righteousness. I don't know if you guys remember, but she explained it that righteousness actually means right standing. So even if we just apply that word into this into chapter or verse 22, the right standing of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So the right standing of God, we are standing right with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And now my topic that I was given was righteousness by faith. And here it says here that our righteousness is through faith. So I thought this might be a pretty important word to figure out what it means. And when looking at what it means, you have to understand what the original context was. Because it was written a time before when words might have had different meaning. So if you look up the word faith in Greek, it's this word called pistis or pistis. Um, Someone can correct me later. But it actually means to persuade. So faith means to persuade. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Like, am am I supposed to persuade God? But I don't think I can persuade him because he knows everything and I can't tell him something he doesn't already know. He doesn't need to be persuaded. So as I journaled about it and talked about it a bit more with the Lord, I felt him say, no, we are meant to persuade you. And so when we read it again, the right standing of God is through being persuaded in Jesus Christ. Hmm. Well, to be persuaded by something, you have to understand what it means, and you have to understand what it represents. You can't be persuaded by something that you don't know, that you've never heard of, that you've never heard spoken, and that you don't know what it means. So to be persuaded by Jesus means you have to understand who he is and what he represents. And it's really cool, the songs that we were singing, because a lot of them talked about Jesus and his sacrifice. And I don't know if you've come here tonight and you don't know what Jesus' sacrifice means or represents, but I want to share that with you tonight. Because I didn't know four years ago. I came in here and I had no idea what Jesus on the cross meant and what it meant for me. So I couldn't be persuaded by it until I understood it. So if you've never heard about Jesus, and maybe if you have, you may not know that Jesus knew that you were coming. Jesus saw you. And he values you, and he knows you, and he decided you were worth it. I don't know if you've ever heard that before, that you are worth the sacrifice. Jesus saw you, and he knew you, and he decided you were worth dying for. You were worth him dying on the cross for. He said, I don't want anything separating me and our father from from my brothers and my sisters I don't want any separation, so I am going to pay the price. Because Paul talks about that we were under sin before Jesus. Before him dying on the cross, we were under sin. And Jesus came into the world, and he saw that, and he said, I don't want that. I don't want that for them. They are worth more than that. And I want them to be set free. And so Jesus dying on the cross means that you are set free from your sin. You are set free from your past. You are set free from your mistakes. You are set free from what you've walked in before. That's already been paid. It's already been done and it's already been dealt with. And you can't, he he'll never take that back. 
He's not going to look at you and say, I take that back. Actually, I changed my mind. He's already decided that you were worth it, knowing what your life would look like. And so when you understand that, and when you grasp that, it does something to your heart. Understanding that you are worth it, and that someone died for you, changes how you feel. It has to. It has to transform your heart. And when you are transformed by who Jesus is, you are being persuaded by him. And not in a bad way. You might have been persuaded for malicious intent. You might have been persuaded before for someone to take advantage of you, but that's not the situation. Jesus said, I love you, and I value you, and I want you with me, and I want you in heaven, and so I am going to persuade you to know that because it is imperative that you know that you are worth it. And that you've been set free. So, in order to be persuaded, you have to know. You have to, know, you have to hear, you have to understand, and you have to know what you're being persuaded by. And Paul gives a couple examples. Um, if we skip a little bit into chapter 4, Paul talks a lot about Abraham. And so if we skip to chapter 4, verse 17, I'll give you guys a second to get there. Paul says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He is our father in God's sight, in whom Abraham believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. According to what had been spoken. So Abraham's another example where he had to hear what the Lord spoke in order to believe his promise. So we have to understand that what we hear and what we're taking in is actually really important because it, it can persuade our heart and it can navigate what we are believing in. So in order to believe in Jesus, you need to hear from Jesus. You need to hear what he says about you, or else you won't be able to believe in him because you haven't experienced his words. If you go back into Genesis, when God made the world, he called it out. He spoke it out. His words bring life. His words bring life. And so when he speaks out promises, those words carry life to them. And that's how we become changed and transformed by his words. And Abraham's an example where he believed what was spoken. So we're going to kind of jump a little, but I want to go back to Abraham and Sarah's story. So we're going to go back into Genesis, because I feel like when, when we talk about it, we need to go back and look at what actually happened in order to have a better understanding. Does that sound good? I know we're kind of jumping all over, but sounds great. Good. <laughs> um, if you want, you can, you can move your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, if you have it with you. So as I was reading through the story of Abraham and Sarah, obviously Abraham carries a lot of weight to him. He's mentioned quite a few times in the Bible for his faith. Quite a few times his faith is mentioned. But as I was reading, 
I felt a little bit more um, like I could relate to Sarah. So we're going to talk about Abraham and Sarah and then kind of focus on Sarah, if that's okay. So if you look in chapter 12, you don't have to go there. I'm just going to read it. Um, The Lord spoke and appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So the Lord showed up to Abraham and he said with his words, to your offspring, I will give you this land. And now if you don't know, Abraham was about 75 at this time, kind of like past childbearing years. Um, And so that probably seems kind of crazy, like, what? I'm 75 and you're promising me children? But that's what the Lord spoke and Abraham believed him. He believed the words that were spoken. And now could you imagine Abraham going back to Sarah, his wife, being like, babe, guess what? Like the Lord said we're going to have kids. And if I was Sarah, I'd be like, what? Are you crazy? And the interesting thing is that the Lord didn't speak to Sarah. I just want to make note of that right now. The Lord didn't say that to Sarah. He said it to Abraham. And when you read it, the Lord didn't mention Sarah in that. He said, your offspring, or the exact words here, to your offspring, I will give this land. But Sarah wasn't mentioned. So I just want to make note of that. So 10 years go by and they still don't have kids. So now Abraham's 85. Like, if I'm 85, I don't think I'm believing for children. I'm a nurse, a pediatric nurse, but I still don't think that that's really possible. But I guess, I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of funny. And so 10 years goes by. 10 years go by, and he doesn't see the fruit of what God promised. He doesn't see a child. There's no offspring. They probably were trying. And nothing. There was nothing. And now imagine being Sarah. This is where I started to connect with Sarah. Sarah just heard from Abraham that they were going to have children. She didn't hear herself. And the Lord didn't mention Sarah's name. So 10 years go by. And I can imagine Sarah would feel like, well, babe, maybe the Lord meant that for you. But I might not be a part of that promise. I might not get to receive what the Lord told you. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm not worthy. Or maybe I'm not meant to be a part of this great plan. Because it's clearly not working. Something isn't right. She probably assumed with her. Because the Lord told Abraham, you will have kids. And so what does Sarah do? She looks at the natural She looks at her body, and she says, babe, this is paraphrased, (laughs) obviously. They might have said babe back then. I actually don't know. (laughs) I don't know when that was started. But she says, babe, that was funnier than I thought it would be, so that's good. (laughs) She said, babe, I think the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Why don't you go to my slave And perhaps through her, I can build a family, she says. And I don't fully understand the cultural context of that time. But if I were to imagine, I think having to say to your husband, it's not working with me, so why don't you try with our slave, would have been a little bit deflating for her. Would have been probably, she probably said that out of pain. She probably said that with a lot of hurt. 
Because Sarah probably wanted to have children, and the promise wasn't coming. It wasn't happening. And so she says, Abraham, why don't you have, try to have a um, kid with our slave so that the promise that God spoke over you can come true, because I'm in the way. And so Abraham does. And a, a lot of people, even me, I was like, okay. Paul says that Abraham did not waver in faith. And here, he's like, okay, I'll sleep with a slave. But the thing is, yeah, kind of interesting. I was like, that doesn't really add up. But what I wonder is a couple things. One, I wonder if Abraham doubted himself and thought, okay, the Lord promised me offspring, but maybe, maybe I'm doing it the wrong way. Maybe I've picked the wrong wife because it's not happening. Life gets in the way. Ten years passed. And from what I read, it wasn't documented. Maybe, the, maybe Abraham heard it again from the Lord in between that time. But ten years passed. Ten years passed. And he didn't see what the Lord had promised. Now, it's very easy when we talk about faith. Faith is your heart being persuaded. Your heart can be persuaded by many things. And so it's very easy for your heart to be persuaded by the things of the world and by the natural and what we see. So Abraham... He might have had a moment of thinking, oh, maybe I'm doing this wrong. So I don't know where his doubt comes from, but just know and be aware that our hearts can be persuaded by many things. And 10 years passed, and he's in the world, and he's looking at the situation and wondering, how is it going to work? So he has relations with Hagar, and they end up having a child. And do people know what relations mean? (laughs) (laughs) so abraham had sex with hagar wow (laughs) oh my goodness (laughs) abraham had sex with hagar and she got pregnant and now if you look at what sarah says you can tell that when she when she told abraham to go try with hagar that it was actually out of place out of a place of pain and hurt because her immediate response is to, to Abraham, you are responsible for my suffering. So she obviously was hurting inside and had a pain inside because she wasn't seeing what she thought her life was going to look like. She wasn't seeing this promise that Abraham had talked about. And when they tried to go another way, Sarah talks about that it actually caused her a lot of suffering. She was angry with Abraham. She was angry with Hagar. She couldn't look at Hagar. And the interesting thing is when I was reading that is that if you were to just look at it without emotions attached to it, Ishmael would look like the fruit of the promise that the Lord had, had said. Because the Lord said you will have offspring and now Abraham has offspring. So it looks as though it's the fruit of the promise But who knows that when you step out in fear instead of faith, that when you make a decision out of fear instead of faith to try and get to your promise, that the fruit of it isn't going to have the same weight. The fruit of it isn't going to carry the same thing. When you step out in fear instead of faith, even though the fruit of it looks the same as the promise, it's not going to carry the same weight. So the dreams that you have and the things that are on your heart, don't step out in fear, out of fear of it not happening, out of fear of not being good enough, out of fear of missing the right timing, out of fear of being too old, out of fear of being, um, that you're going to miss it, you're going to miss the opportunity, because if it's not the right timing, 
then stepping out in fear instead of faith is going to produce a, a fruit or a product that's not what the promise is. Yeah, that got, that got me thinking about a lot of things. <laughs> so we can jump forward a little to Genesis chapter 18. Are you guys okay jumping around? Okay. I mean, it's kind of close together, but... So I want to look at Genesis 18, chapter 9. I think I, I didn't put 9 on there, but I'll just read it for you. So time goes by, and Sarah still doesn't have a child. And now the Lord appears to Sarah. He appears as three men. I'm not going to get into that or explain it, but the Lord appears to Sarah. I mean, sorry, to Abraham. And the Lord asks when he meets Abraham, where is your wife, Sarah? And Abraham entered, er, um, answered, there in the tent. So the Lord wanted to make sure, I mean, he probably already knew, but he wanted to make sure that Sarah was close enough to hear, that Sarah was nearby. Because before, when the Lord told Abraham, you will have offspring, Sarah didn't hear it from the Lord herself. And so he says, where is your wife? And Abraham says, there in the tent. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. So here he specifically says, your wife, Sarah. And he's making sure that Sarah overhears it. Because there's a difference between someone else repeating the Lord's words to you and you hearing the words from the Lord yourself. There's a difference, and we can see it happen. So he says, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him, so Sarah overheard him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in their years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, meaning that in the physical and in the natural, this was something impossible. So she laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? And I don't think that that laughing was out of like joy or like, ha oh, that's really funny. I think that that laughing actually came from a place of hurt. Like I am past childbearing years. Now, now I'm going to bear a child? You can hear the pain in her voice or in her words. And the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? And here he repeats, after Sarah doubted, after she laughed at it in pain, he repeats, is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. So Sarah doubted, and the Lord repeated back to her what he promised. And I believe in that moment when he repeated it back to her after she doubted, I believe in this moment, this is when Sarah's heart was persuaded by the words of the Lord. This is when she said, her heart was persuaded and she said, oh wow, I I was wrong to doubt. Because you can see immediately after Sarah denies laughing, she goes, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. So in that moment, I believe her heart was experienced the words of the Lord. She heard what he was saying over her life and she believed and she immediately repented for doubting. Not because she had seen the fruit, not because she had a child, but because she heard the, wor- le- heard the Lord's words. 
She heard what was spoken, and then she repented. Well, she didn't really repent. She tried to deny it, but because she was afraid. She heard the Lord's words, and immediately her heart was changed, even before seeing the promise. Because, as we said before, the, the Lord's words have life and have power and have meaning, and they have the ability to transform. Like we were singing in the song, um, Jesus' name, how his name has the ability to transform and to persuade our hearts. The Lord's words have the ability to change our hearts, to change the course that we're on and move it this way. Just from him speaking out, not from him doing anything. And so if you go a little bit further, um, Sarah ends up having a baby, (laughs) which is amazing. (laughs) And the funny thing is, it's exciting, isn't it? The funny thing is that when, when Sarah had Isaac, she said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. So before, when she heard what, the, what God said, she laughed out of hurt and out of pain and out of unbelief. And now she has Isaac, and she's laughing out of joy because the Lord did what he said he would, because the Lord is the Lord of impossible things, that he can bring into existence what can't exist in the natural She's now laughing. And Isaac actually means laughter. And so the Lord redeems even our unbelief. The Lord redeems even our doubt. He knows what we speak out because he said, why did you laugh? He can hear you, but he's not condemning you. He actually will bring it and redeem it for you. So what hurt you before will actually bring you life later. If you bring it to him. If you turn your heart to him and if you listen to his words. And so in reading about Sarah, this is where I connected to Sarah. Because four years ago, I came to Tehillah. I think it was like April 5th, so this week, which is pretty crazy. And I sat at the very back, and I came with a lot of brokenness, with a lot of shame and guilt. I didn't know the Lord before. I had made a ton of mistakes, a ton of mistakes that were like, Wrecking me with guilt and shame and the weight of it. I honestly never thought that I would find joy again. And I actually almost didn't even really want to. Because I thought if I found joy, it means that what I went through didn't mean anything. And that I was just being like irresponsible for the mistakes that I had made. And so I sat at the back. And I cried my eyes out because that's what I do. (laughs) I can't help it. But I cried at the back because I heard people speaking the, the words of God, saying, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are loved, you are worth it, you are valuable. And I sat in the back crying as I heard people speaking this over me. And it moved me, and it moved me for quite a while. But if I'm being really honest, after a while, it actually started to hurt. It actually started to become painful hearing those words. Because I thought, oh yeah, tears. (laughs) Because I thought, if you knew what was inside of me, you would not be saying that to me. You don't know what's inside. And if you did, you wouldn't be speaking those words over me. And I feel like that's like Sarah. If you knew what was inside, if you knew what was inside of me, you would not be saying that I could have children. 
And so I sat in the back and I listened to people saying, you are forgiven and you are loved. And I thought, please stop saying that to me because I will never experience that. I will never understand what you're talking about. And if you knew me, if you knew what was inside of me, you would not say that to me. And so hearing people speak God's words and his truth to you can impact you. Because trust me, at the beginning, it, it did impact me. It helped me to keep coming. It helped me to keep coming every week and to feel welcome, at least by the people around me, even though I thought, well, if they knew me, they wouldn't welcome me, but they don't know me, so that's probably good. But the thing is that it wasn't until that I understood for myself what Jesus dying on the cross meant that my heart was persuaded. It wasn't until I understood that when Jesus said, I love you and you are worth it and I am willing to die for you. I saw you coming. I saw you in the distance and I wanted to save you and you are worth being saved and you are worth being loved. And until I understood that, and once I grasped that in my heart, my heart was immediately persuaded and transformed by the power of those words and that experience that I experienced right over there on that side. Not that that side's like special, but... Well, maybe it is because there's lots of great people, but... (laughs) There's great people everywhere. I'm getting myself in a hole. (laughs) But it was over there that I experienced for myself what the cross represents. And that transformed and persuaded my heart. And when you understand that, you can't help but experience freedom and love and grace and mercy and you can't help but be transformed by that you can't help but be overwhelmed by what that means and if you've never experienced it if you've never experienced what Jesus dying on the cross means for you and you've never felt that in your heart you might feel like you're okay but trust me there's a freedom that comes that you didn't even know a freedom from things you didn't even know you were carrying it's a freedom that you will never be able to anticipate. Oh my. That, I should not have done that into the mic. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> and in experiencing Jesus' freedom, in his love and in his grace and his mercy, that always points back to God. That always points back to God and saying, I just want to be where you are. And I believe that if you look at Jesus' life, that's what he always does, is points back to God. He always says, look at my father. Look at him. Look at who he is. And Jesus came so we could understand who God is. And so in understanding who Jesus is, in being persuaded by Jesus, in, in our hearts being transformed by who he is, And experiencing that freedom, we can't help but point back to God. And I believe that when we come to God and we say, God, I just want to be in your presence. I have experienced what Jesus' sacrifice means. I have experienced freedom and I just want to be with you and I just want to stand in your presence. I believe that God says, my daughter, my son, you are home And I've been waiting for you. And you coming home to me is right standing in my eyes. Because all God wants is for his lost child to come home. So all you have to do is understand what Jesus' sacrifice means. 
point back to God, inevitably you're going to point back to the Father. And when you come back to him and you come home, he says, child, you are right standing with me. Because the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ and in his redemption. Right standing with God is through being persuaded by what Jesus' sacrifice means. And so I'm going to invite the band back up, if they don't mind. Um, four years ago, I was anticipating doing the, having this moment. Okay, you're going to have to give me grace. <laughs> oh. Four years ago, when I came to Tehillah, a friend of mine named Stu was up here. And he said, if you don't know Jesus, and if you don't know anyone here, we want to walk with you, and we want to give you the opportunity to get to know him. Thank you. And so he stood up here and he said, if you don't know anyone, come to the front because we want to meet you. Don't leave here without saying hi to someone. Don't leave here without at least someone knowing your name. And I was sitting at the back, second person in, in the very back row, in back there. And I thought, oh my goodness, that aisle is way too long. It's way too far to the front. There's too many people. I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know what I'm going to say. And it seemed intimidating and it seemed daunting. But I just want to offer for you, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't had your heart be persuaded by him and you want to get to know him, if you're carrying things that burden your heart, if you feel the weight of things like addiction or past mistakes, He doesn't go back on his promise. He doesn't go back on his word. What he said. 
he promised back then is a promise for you because he knew you were coming and he said, I love you so much. You are willing 